0: speaking a monthly podcast on the spoken word episode number 63 april 2023 the oxford english dictionary hello paul meyer here let's start off with our ever popular quiz guess that accent last time i played you this clip from the international dialects of english archive idea and challenged you to say where on the planet the speaker grew up
1: long ago when i was very young my father used to have a garden that garden had a combination of small plants and big trees. Among the plants, we had a lot of roses. I still remember there was a big guava tree we could even climb. However, with the passage of time, that garden became smaller in shape and none of the family members concentrated in it because of the lack of time.
0: If you guessed Bangladesh, well done. It was Ideas Bangladesh 11 contributed by Amin Rahman, our associate editor for Bangladesh, who has contributed 12 invaluable recordings from his country. Thanks so much, Amin. Bangladesh 11 is a Bengali mechanical engineer, born in Dhaka, and was 40 at the time this recording was made in 2020. For the whole recording, go to the Dialects and Accents tab on the menu bar of dialectsarchive.com and drill down to Bangladesh on the Asia page. Now, this month's challenge. Where did this speaker spend her formative years?
1: My dad preached to us about the importance of school. In plenty of days, I didn't want to go because I didn't have things like the other kids had. Everything was homemade, which my mother was a seamstress. She made everything we wore with the exception of shoes. You had two pair of shoes, one for church, one for school.
0: Get the answer next time. My guest this month is Dr. Catherine Sangster, Executive Editor, Pronunciations at Oxford Languages. She's been in charge of the Oxford English Dictionary's pronunciations for 11 years. Well, thanks so very much for joining me, Catherine. Thank you. What a fascinating position you hold at the Oxford English Dictionary, the OED. Pronunciation Editor, I'm so jealous. What do you do as Pronunciation Editor?
1: There are a number of us who are executive editors of one sort or another who focus on the, the etymology or the definitions, the revision mm-hmm. programme and so forth. So for the pronunciations editor, it's really just about making sure all of the pronunciations that we give are accurate, mm-hmm. um, up to date. Also, when a new word is added, I'm transcribing those and creating audio to go along with them. Uh, and when words are revised, we're making sure the pronunciation is. give is still the pronunciation we want to give perhaps introducing variant pronunciations as well and again transcriptions and audio side by side the previous version of the oed gave only british english pronunciations whereas the revised style is to give a british and an american and a world english pronunciation for anything so anything that's not obsolete Mm-hmm. Uh, is given a British and a US pronunciation and if it is a word that is deemed to be you know this is a word that belongs to Canadian English or a word that belongs to Philippine English mm. um, or Indian mm. English or New Zealand English and so forth and so forth we give a third or fourth or fifth pronunciation with a transcription which fits a model for that world English and a piece of audio that matches okay. that as well.
0: Wonderful that's amazing. English spelling lacked a standard form until, what, a few hundred years ago. Um, That would have made dictionary making kind of difficult, right?
1: I mean, one of the things about English, of course, is that the fact that the spelling doesn't neatly predict the pronunciation is what makes it interesting. I mean, that's what basically keeps me in work. Certain languages, um, Japanese or Polish, you don't see pronunciations in monolingual dictionaries of those languages because it is entirely predictable from the spelling Yes. Um, and predictable in terms of not just what consonant and vowel sounds you might hear but also where the stress might fall right um, so if you've got a really nice neat one-to-one this is the spelling and this is the sound then of course the pronunciation guide is redundant And then, you know, for some languages, that is less true. And English is pretty far down the end of the scale of languages, for which that isn't really true at all because of its complex history.
0: So why is the OED, uh, that giant among dictionaries, so venerated?
1: Well, the OED is it's a dictionary like no other, really. it, It started mid 19th century it, it developed into a project and then it snowballed into a project bigger than bigger than even the people involved with it imagined it might become we are approaching a sort of centenary because the first edition of the dictionary was published in what are called fascicles with the first fascicle late 19th century
0: that's a lovely word, it was, isn't it? Fascicle. <laughs> oh, I only learned that word.
1: I, I like it a
0: lot. A fascicle, um, an unbound Yeah, F-A-S-C-I-C-L-E.
1: Yeah. The fascicles of the first edition were published over a 40-year period, with the final one being published in 1928. So in 2028, we will be looking to have a bit of a celebration. It's a little difficult to decide quite when your birthday is, when you're the OED, because of so many possible points of generation. But uh, yes, yes. That, that's that's when the final fascicle. And then in the 20th century, supplements to fill in the gaps came out. Then in the 1980s, a second edition was produced. Uh, in the 1990s, it went on to CD-ROM. And it's, and it's the OED, although it is, still exists as physical dictionaries, multiple volumes it is really an online creature it, it's updated every three months yes and uh, it's entirely you know people people's research and interaction with the oed now is is done online
0: it really doesn't make sense to publish a print edition of a dictionary anymore does it
1: well there are There are probably still there are probably still reasons. And I wouldn't say, you know, I wouldn't say never to a paper version. But certainly the focus is uh, and it, it allows so much more flexibility. I can go in and decide if I if I realize that something's amiss with an entry, I can go and fix it. And I know that that correction will appear for everybody who's using it within the three monthly revision cycle.
0: So for people who don't know, the OED is such a huge book partly because each word includes its etymology and wonderful citations of earliest known appearances in print and lots of citations demonstrating how that word has morphed in meaning over the centuries and and of course thanks to you uh, and your your team we have the pronunciation both uh, uh, phonemically and in increasing numbers of audio clips am i explaining yes, the scope of the oed correctly here
1: yes absolutely i mean it is enormous and and Yes, a little bit a little bit daunting to when you to start to work on it, but also, you know, the most wonderful place to be working. I joined about 11 years ago now, and one of the main things that I joined to do, why they decided they needed a specialist pronunciation editor, was because of the wish to have audio files attached to the transcriptions. Yes. Um, and we made the decision, that, I mean, lots of choices then you say, well, are we going to synthesize? Are we going to use Real something people? that, you know, reads? Yeah. It reads the IPA and turns it into synthesised speech, or are we going to have live voice? Although the OED itself didn't, do, didn't have audio, some other Oxford University Press dictionaries, including the Oxford Dictionary of English and the New Oxford American Dictionary, which are smaller dictionaries, they did have really nice audio that you know, we very carefully made and one of the things that's quite special about how we make our audio is we use speakers who can read transcriptions and yes. so they are not reading a word list they are reading a transcription list i mean with words alongside but that means that we can be very careful that if we have a word with multiple pronunciations whether it's a scone scone type thing or yes. controversy controversy type thing or whether it's more of a a detail of a variation within british english so whether you say Tune or tune. It means that if the speaker is in the booth recording a new word that is like tune tune, we know we're going to get both, and we know which is which, so they can all be sort of correctly matched up. So that when somebody looks something up in the OED and they see that there's apparently eight different ways to say it in US English, they'll click the little speakers, then speaker icons, and the correct version will will play.
0: Taking a little bit of a left turn, I was thinking of growing up. Back in Bournemouth, many years ago, we had the dictionary, the dictionary, it was capital T, capital D. We regarded that dictionary as the authority, the the final arbiter of what was a real word and what was the right and proper way to spell and pronounce it. I was interested to ask you, Catherine, how you regard that authoritarian aspect of dictionary usage. Uh, I know dictionaries are sometimes criticized for being prescriptive instead of merely descriptive, Mm. Uh, you know, this is the yes, right way a, to spell it. A right way to pronounce it.
1: It's an interesting thing to think, to think about. Really, is are we as the dictionary? I mean, leaving aside the question of you know, well, which dictionary, but let's like, okay, I think we're probably one of the ones up there when people thinking thinking about quote unquote the dictionary. Yes. Um, yes. People will say, oh well, that's not a real word. It's not in the dictionary. Or conversely, oh, how, why on earth are they putting the, you know putting that in the dictionary? It's like it's yeah. making it true. If you talk to lexicographers like my colleagues uh, and myself, we are much more descriptivist joy seekers. From the outside, people might imagine that there is an element of "oh well, we we you know we can't possibly enshrine that," but uh, from within, there's much more. You know, you'll see something unusual. You see a new word forming, or the, the meaning of a word shifting, mm-hmm. and. or, or, you know, or or spelling changing or a pronunciation starting to to shift around. And it's, it's it's fascination rather than, you know, and we're trying to hold up a mirror. We are neither trying to push forward a change that isn't really happening yet, nor are we trying to hold back the tide against any changes that are clearly happening. We're trying, and of course, with always the slight lag that you know trying to keep up with something even with a with a very nimble mm. online publishing program you you still are always going to be catching up oed does have a um, new word selection isn't uh, isn't my own particular wheelhouse but uh, there are hurdles a word has to have been around for a certain length of time although it's not a, not fixed in stone on the pronunciation side we've got some New Zealand English, so ah. a, a few hundred New Zealand English words, either revised or newly added. New Zealand pronunciation is quite interesting because there's some variation depending on how aware, well, whether the speakers are themselves Māori speakers, or if not, how aware they are of the phonology of Māori loans in New Zealand English.
0: And you represent and, the, the, the uh, transcription and, and audio, right?
1: Yes, correct. So,
0: closing down that question, um, as a, mm. as the prescriptive, the authority thing. Perhaps what I'm getting is that if there's any prescriptivism going on, it's it's likely to be a perception by some readers rather than something that the OED advances, uh, as it was in my home, you know, the, the dictionary. You know, we bow down before the capital T, capital D dictionary, and uh, maybe that wasn't the right way for us to use the dictionary. Uh, maybe we were closing ourselves down a little bit.
1: I think that comes into play a lot when we're talking about the world Englishes. People can feel that their their way of speaking isn't isn't proper, isn't it isn't mm-hmm. the ideal. And by including the coverage of the world English and and saying something like, "Well, you know, this is not you know, it isn't incorrect to do this particular sound in this manner. It is just characteristic of this variety of English." Well, that is true descriptivism, isn't it? I think people do appreciate it and welcome it that their English isn't being framed as perhaps it has been in some education systems or in some media perspectives that the the idea that it's, you know, suboptimal in some way. Exactly. uh, That's quite rewarding. But even even within talking about British English or US English, that's quite a common thing that we encounter.
0: I'm sure. So w- when exactly were pronunciations introduced into the OED? I, knew, I mean, the OED started work in 1857, I read, predates mm. the development of the International Phonetic Association by, by 30 years or so. so.
1: What, uh, James Murray developed a transcription system. It was pretty much, by the time he was putting it in place, it was tantalizingly close to the same year as the development of the IPA in France. So all those fascicles published over that 40-year period around the turn of the 19th to the 20th century. They all had pronunciation transcriptions, but in a a rather bespoke system that Murray had developed. I mean, quite a a, a good system. covers all the things you would want a transcription system to cover.
0: When were the audio files of people demonstrating the pronunciation introduced to the online edition? Murray would have been absolutely gobsmacked, to use a nice British expression.
1: Do you know, I often think about that. I think that he would have been delighted to be able to do that. I've got a lovely quote in the introduction of the NED. He talked about the primacy of the spoken form. Yes. Uh, he called it the living form of the word itself. Mm. And you know, the spelling is only a symbol, but the, the the living word is the pronunciation. It's the latest fact.
0: When did the first audio files appear?
1: 2013. So ten years ago. And that was for British and American. And then we started to fill in the gaps with some of the World Englishes that were already covered. So uh, Canadian, New Zealand, Australia, South Africa. And then we've increasingly expanded the World Englishes. So Philippine English, Hong Kong English, Singapore and Malaysian English, most recently Indian English. And then some of the New Zealand editions that are coming very shortly. But Indian English was a particularly big undertaking because it's very complex we started thinking about it early on put it in the too hard pile for a little while because you've got so much variation depending on the other languages spoken by the Indian English speaker yes so if there's a word that's alone from Urdu the way that the Indian English speaker will pronounce it will depend if Urdu is one of the other languages they have or not
0: now this may be a can of worms another rabbit hole but um, the, the difference between phonemic and phonetic transcription and how how narrow you can get in your IPA representations of what we're hearing from the speaker, I don't always find that there's, a, there's a, a connection between the transcription provided and the and the recording. You know, I looked up the word certain, for example, and forgave it for saying for the American English to be certain. Whereas in fact, Mm -hmm. of course, the the glottal stop was used, certain. And then I said, oh, well there, Catherine's doing phonemic transcriptions and and we can't get too narrow because people won't understand what a glottal stop question mark thing looks like.
1: What I would describe what you see in an OED entry is a broad phonemic transcription for the purposes of telling somebody who's using the dictionary how to say the thing out loud. And having that side by side with the audio allows us to provide some illustrations of possible realizations of that transcription. So, yes, if we had a T, a thing that looked like a letter T in the transcription, we would indicate in the discussion of the model of the British English model, the US English model and so on, that this might be realized like this or like that. And the realization would be illustrated with the audio. The the choice of a symbol is a little bit it's, in a way, it's arbitrary. It's, it can be a little bit difficult to settle on. Well, am I going to use... I mean, For instance, for a flapped T yes. in American English... Shitty. Some dictionaries are sort of... Um, so ladder, as in not a thing you climb up, but the opposite of former.
0: The Latter-day Saints.
1: Yes, exactly. What symbol are you going to use? To, because not, not all US English speakers are going to flap that, but it's fairly typical. Are you going to use... A D because mm-hmm. it shares some qualities with the D, but it's not, yes. it, it, there are other qualities it does not share. Are you going to use a T and are you going to say, oh, this might be flapped? Are you going to use the special flap symbol, like the little R without a stalk? That can be a bit alienated to start introducing very unletter like symbols. Yes. It, it can be wonderfully precise, but it can also be alienating to <laughs> some users,
0: especially if there was no audio. But with the audio, my argument is that providing as narrow a transcription as possible of what we're hearing might avoid confusion and be helpful. I don't know.
1: It's a bit like the relationship between the map and the actual territory. The phonemic transcription provides a map and then you've got some actual, you know, Some actual examples. I I, I take your point. If you've got several possible realizations of something, of course, each phonemic symbol in the transcription can be a little bit of an umbrella under which the phonetic realization could could gather. Over the last years, we have got a little bit more, a little bit more allowing ourselves to, to use symbols. So with the Bermudian English model, we introduced the use of the phonetic symbol that looks like a beta for a quality for bilabial consonants, which was neither but nor were, but v, which is characteristic of Bermudian English. In the past, we might have said, oh, well, we'd better not put that. It It might have been felt that you should probably either use a B or a W and, and have some commentary that said, oh, well, this isn't really either of those things, but rather this third thing in between. And similarly, with the Indian English, we're using for the retroflex T and D sounds. We're using the correct IPA symbols with the long tails.
0: Are you? So we're trying harder and harder these days to avoid privileging one regional accent over another. So what drives your decision making when choosing how to represent American English and British English? You know, for instance, I looked up that quintessential Northern English word butty, you know, as in a jam butty or a chip butty it was transcribed as butty and pronounced as butty what's your thoughts on that
1: this is one of those areas where dictionaries are probably more probably more conservative we are still trying to reflect standardized forms however what i try to do and what i can what i'm continuing to do is to look at our models for british english and for american english and indeed for all of the englishes that we cover as the norms of those varieties shift to try and make sure that we, we can start to include things. So OED does al- already include, for words that have a bath, bath vowel, we give both pronunciations. So if you look up the word taskmaster, you will see both taskmaster and taskmaster okay. um, for, on the British side. For American English, we have an unmerged cot-court merger, so words with or in them will have a cart and a cot. But yes, the ah, uh, the cup vowel. we know we, we don't yet have an uh version of that as part of the model. OED does uh, reflect uh, yod coalescence. We have both the TJ, DJ and the ch, j versions. Tune, um,
0: tune, yes.
1: Yeah, just so. But what we don't have, for instance, something that's that's increasingly common in British English is a word that has S-T-U at the beginning. I'm going to say it without any coalescence, student is not just like such, like student, but increasingly student.
0: Student. So like yes.
1: a sh, then a ch, like in the word push chair, like the Russian phoneme. And student. same on this
0: side of the pond too, mm. you know, strength and so forth.
1: Yeah, strength, exactly. So that's one of the ones that we're keeping a close eye on. It's not a change that I'm planning to put into place you know, overnight, but as that becomes, if that becomes more mainstream more standard of course we'll try and keep pace with that. It's but it's I want it's your job. Little... If you ever retire. Yeah. We, <laughs> you know, what do you what do we do with our T's? What do we do with our intervocalic T's? That's uh, another, oh, you know, it's okay. another huge question.
0: Yeah. Along the same lines as we were discussing, I looked up the audio file for the head word and mm. um, we got little for British and little for American. But little is becoming so much more common little or little Mm. with with the you know the final l going
1: the vocalization on the yeah
0: so my question that i prepared for you was how long before little or little are shown and demonstrated as the british english
1: so it's already acknowledged Not in the choice of symbols themselves, but if you look at the the discussion of the model, it will say things like, you know, T is sometimes realised in this way, it was a glottal stop or in this way, or um, L vocalisation is definitely also discussed. But yeah, whether we would end up with an alternative transcription with milk, you know, with a perhaps transcribing with a symbol that looks like a W or something like that, I don't know, because... I certainly want to acknowledge it in the models, but we have to kind of come back to the fact that OED is not a dialect dictionary. We couldn't possibly include close transcriptions of every possible or or even multiple possible
0: yes, yes
1: pronunciations
0: Shifting to uh, to American English pronunciation. one interesting pronunciation that we both know of is the uh, is the uh, the merger of uh, Mary, Mary, and Mary the way people mm. in different places pronounce the word merry, meaning happy or Mary, the girl's name and married meaning to wed. Uh, in a large part of the US, the, you know, those words are pronounced the same. Uh, I have a little sentence in my dialect coaching. Uh, for both RP and what I recommend for classical acting for American actors, the little sentence is Mary Mary married Harry Harry on a ferry." But of course, for a huge percentage of the American population, the same vowel is used in all those words: Mary, Mary, married, Harry, Harry, on a ferry. And uh, I looked up at the OED for Mary, and uh, yeah, we got the Mary for British and the Mary for American. So th- that's that was terrific. That's getting awfully close to some narrow. Close transcription, mm. isn't it, to differentiate the difference between Mary and Mary, yes, showing more of the subtleties a, a bit, and the nuances.
1: It is a bit of a balancing act, and and as I was saying, the sort of the selection of a what symbol you're going to use in the transcription is. I hope that it's complemented by the audio. One of the things that we can't do yet, but I hope we'll be able to do soon, is for many of the pronunciations we have more than one piece of audio We've, it's been recorded mm-hmm. more than once and um i would love to be able to rather than say well we're only going to play this sound file mm-hmm. i'd love to, be able to say well for this one we have four sound files can we mm-hmm. can we present them all anybody you know you're saying okay this is a here is a voice we're going to perceive as female here is a voice of a person of a certain in a certain age band mm-hmm. here is of you know there, there's so much so much variation that i'd like to be able to reflect yes. within the parameters of you know what we can do. With our South African English, I was able to record all the words twice. We had one speaker who spoke Afrikaans and English, and another speaker who didn't speak Afrikaans, but did speak Zulu and some other, I don't remember all of the other languages that they spoke. It meant that we could have a slightly complementary, two people who were good illustrations at different points of yes. what South African English can sound like. And in the end, because of the limitations of how they're presented I had to say well whose audio am I going to choose for each one and broadly I used the audio of the speaker who also spoke Afrikaans for the words of Afrikaans origin and and conversely so uh, which was you know which was a good way to do it I was glad to be able to have to reflect that amount of diversity but how much more interesting would it be to be able to actually have both of those piece of, pieces of audio sitting on everything yes. um, and that's, yes. yeah, that's something that I'm working towards.
0: Yes yes now that we can have everything you know we want everything don't we yeah exactly. <laughs> uh,
1: d- however much um, you know delight I might have in all the, the diversity and the, and the multiple variants that are possible you do have to sort of come back sometimes to what does the person who's looking in the dictionary for this want yes. and often they don't want here are 16 different, you know, a long a long word that might have sort of different sorts of vowel reduction or syllabicity on L's and N's and M's. Yes. It might end up with eight or even sixteen pronunciations. Yes. I have been asked before by colleagues quite how helpful that is to a user who really just wants to know where does the stress fall on this word, or you know, is that a g or a j? Those sort of more, well, important, but more elementary questions about yes. Help me to pronounce this dictionary item. Because for yeah. lots of people looking something up in the dictionary, the pronunciation is just part of the apparatus. It's not, they, they might be more focused on the etymology or on the definition and the pronunciation is there as well.
0: Well, we've been having a wonderful conversation and, and still failed to get to the thing that prompted this interview, which was the press release from mm-hmm. Anna Silva, your publicity manager, announcing the addition of Indian English pronunciations. So, um By the way, I'm I'm going to include that press release on the PaulMeyer.com web page for this podcast episode. It's a fascinating document in itself. So, um, talk a little bit more. We've covered a little, a little bit, but I'm intrigued to hear more about the editorial policy discussions that led Mm. to this particular edition and this particular press release.
1: Indian English was one of the World Englishes that we always wanted to, to cover and cover properly because uh, the what drives the World English editions to the OED are recognising all of the parts of the world besides Britain and North America that speak English. And there are very, very many millions of Indian English speakers. So it was something that we wanted to cover, but we it took a little while to develop because we Needed needed to do a lot of research, needed to work out a system that would let us deal with all of the different other languages spoken by people who speak Indian English. For Indian English, it wasn't sparked by a new set of words that were being added. It was Mm. purely because it was a pronunciation, it was something we'd Ah. been, a gap we wanted to fill for the pronunciation. So there are, in OED, there are approximately 900 entries which have labeling which indicates that they are indian english so many of them are loans from all of the different languages of india which have come into english to the point that people would use them in an english sentence and not be deemed to be code switching like, like bungalow um, and
0: pajamas mm, and so forth right
1: exactly um but then there are other words which uh, have european origins and. Uh, but are used in a different way. So, like "prepone" is a an Indian English word that is, it's it's like "postpone" except the opposite. Oh. Um, and I don't think out, I don't think it's used at all outside of Indian English. But yet, if you prepone something, you you bring it forward in time. It's a new one for me. Um, Thank you. It's pre-pone. a good one, isn't it? Yeah. So yes, not all of the words are loans, but a, a goodly number of them are. And the actual work of it involves going through them all, looking at sources, checking, um, you know, checking the pronunciation, well, we're developing the model, drafting the pronunciation according to the model, and then running it by some actual speakers to make sure we haven't missed anything is the, is what it boils down to. And then we have the exercise of making the audio itself. And that's often gives us another feedback loop because the, you'll get a speaker in who will, who will might say, Oh, nobody says it that way, and that mm-hmm. lets you take it back to the drawing board a little bit as well. Uh, we had a, a consultant uh, called Divyanshi Shaktawat, who's at Glasgow University, who was uh, really really helpful. Uh, but then she wasn't the speaker, so we had other people, other people coming in as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you present it; you put it up, it gets connected to the entries, it goes up with the next update, and we share all of the the models. On the website, you can link to it from an entry. So, if you were to look up the entry for prepone when you saw the Indian English, it would you could click through and you could see the model. But all of the models are shared so that people can see our working, and we really encourage people to give us feedback. There's a the ability to suggest new words, but also suggest you know new pronunciations or areas where either if our audio doesn't sound right or our transcription is out of whack, then we can um, we can respond to that.
0: Right. Looking up one of the words you listed in the press release, and I looked up "desh," which is the Indian English word mm. for a person's or people's native country or place of origin. I love that that word, a homeland, a home. And it's uh, a
1: lovely word, and it's it, it, I mean actually the, difficult to transcribe because the quality of the vowel shifts quite a lot. A lot of people would be much more like "desh." Yes. And you think, well, am I going to am I going to anglicise that as "desh"? Or yeah. like that's something. Yes. Uh, in, in the days before I uh, before I was a lexicographer, I worked in the BBC pronunciation unit, and yes, we would with names and things. We would often have, you'd often have a conversation with someone, and you'd say, "Well, I know the Dutch diphthong is actually this, but our broadcasters can't do that. Uh, so here are the choices. We can either go, um, so something like the, the surname. There was a, a politician called Fortune um and it was well we can go for tain or for town or for Toyn, and <laughs> but having to triangulate it and say and if you ask native speakers well which one which way do you want it to go then sometimes they'll surprise you because yeah. i i would think i'd rather match the you know the the, the rounding than the than the frontness backness of the yeah. um, but yeah. uh, Sometimes native speakers will will feel differently, and I'm going to do so a yes, podcast. A of... Yeah,
0: I'm going to do a podcast on place names and people names. I think that deserves a, a whole, a whole podcast. So uh, back to Desh, um, your earliest entry. I I love this. If people aren't familiar with the, uh, with those citations, your earliest entry for Desh is in 1882. There is not a Bengali, who is not sad, when he admits that his Desh i.e. patria, as well as land, has constantly been conquered. So it made me realize that modern Bangladesh incorporates desh in that Mm -hmm. meaning. My question for you is, is, tell us about the speaker, how how you recruited the speaker who demonstrates the uh, Indian English pronunciation in the audio clip. British person of Indian descent or someone born and living in India? How, How did that go?
1: it can be challenging to find the right speaker or speakers um, because, as I say, we we are somewhat limited by them physically being in Oxford. Our Indian speaker is born in India, but more recently living in the UK. We try and find somebody who exemplifies the model as best we can. Yes. The ideal scenario is they will go into the booth and they will naturalistically read out the words exactly the way they would do them. And the first take is the only take. Of course, it doesn't always quite work like that because everybody is going to say everyone's going to have their own little idiosyncrasies and and that's why we choose speakers who can read the transcriptions a little bit so you can say actually on this one could you just do it like that one of our New Zealand English speakers we were trying with her to achieve two variant pronunciations one which was more anglicized and one which was closer to the phonology of the Maori loans yes. and what she said afterwards was when I was doing the more anglicised ones, I was trying to sound like my own grandmother, <laughs> <laughs> because as a sort of generational trend, the younger generations were more likely to have a better knowledge of what Maori phonology was like and to say Maori mm. words in a in a manner that was a little bit more like how they sound in Maori and a little bit less anglicised.
0: Interesting.
1: But we get that with loan words all the time with them. Um, I, I often think of the you know, Japanese loans in English as an example where the ones we borrowed, um, longer ago, uh, something like karate or karaoke is much more heavily anglicized. And if you think about what's happened to the vowel at the end, where it's, it's just realized as E karate mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. karaoke, whereas more recent loans for food terms, say the end with an E, you probably don't say edamame beans. You probably say edamame beans, exactly. um, or, you know something like that but it's the same vowel sound it just hasn't it hasn't been so heavily anglicized i'm always really fascinated by that, the tension between what does it is it say you're a speaker and you and you then there's a loan you know a new word that's come into a language from another language and maybe you do know how to pronounce that other language as well The the negotiation between how much am I going to anglicize this? If I anglicize it all the way, I'll sound ignorant. If I don't anglicize it at all, I'll sound pretentious. Yes. And sort of yes. trying to steer the path and deciding what you know what matters more to you. Uh, I think it's that's a um,
0: fascinating topic in its own right, isn't it? Yes. It yes, is. Yes. A final question, <laughs> Catherine. If you had an unlimited budget, how would you spend it as the OED pronunciation editor? Dream big.
1: Oh now, gosh. I mean, one of the things I have, this, this is probably cheating. One of the things I do actually is I, I'm not only the OED editor, but I am the, um, I'm in charge of pronunciations for Oxford Languages uh, as a whole, which is uh, the part of the press that produces. it. So we produce bilingual dictionaries as well, and monolingual dictionaries in languages other than English. So I would love to expand hugely and be able to hire an enormous team to do what I'm doing for English for all of the mm. other languages that OEP mm. uh, has dictionaries in. But to have another pass the question and answer it properly and talking about OED only, I would love to cover more of the variation that you get within the different varieties of English worldwide, including in the US and in Britain. I would love mm-hmm. to explore... Where you have different varieties of English, not just on geographical grounds, but looking at looking at social variation and um, uh, ethnolects, and there's a lot of interesting stuff to be found there. And I'd also like to be able to do, you know, it would be lovely to be able to do some kind of fieldwork and not rely entirely on, um, you know, reading other people's other people's research and, and consultancy I think that would be um, somebody asked somebody said once oh I say I presume you go and you get to go and do a lot of field work <laughs> uh, if only we do use a lot of video and the, the way of researching things as you know, we do end up look, looking at a lot of video of different people from all over the world pronouncing things in their own way yeah, but it would be yeah. nice to be able to go to them sometimes as well.
0: So Catherine, if and when I make that billion dollars, I'll be sure to leave a huge chunk of it for your work, get you out in the field and realize all those huge dreams. Because I'm a huge fan of the OED, as I think you probably realize. And to my listeners, uh, unless you're uh, affiliated with a university where you get access to the OED for free, you know, it's just a hundred US dollars or a hundred British pounds to subscribe to it. Money well spent if you're a word nerd like me. Thanks so much for joining me, Catherine.
1: Thanks for having me, Paul.
0: And thanks to you for joining me, Paul Meyer, and my guest, Dr. Catherine Sangster. To learn more about her and the Oxford English Dictionary, and to find free extra content found only on my website, go to paulmeyer.com, choose In a Manner of Speaking from the Other Services tab on the menu bar, and click on episode number 63. I've included that press release I mentioned, with links to the OED's models on which the transcriptions we talked about are based. Email me with your comments and questions, paul at paulmeyer.com. And don't forget to follow Paul Meyer Dialect Services on Facebook and me on Twitter at Dialect Paul. And of course, for all my books, ebooks, dialect coaching, and loads of free stuff, visit paulmeyer.com. Join me next time. My guest will be Graham Poynton former director of the BBC pronunciation unit. Catherine suggested him, as she and Graham worked in the same unit. The topic will be place names and people names. Email me if everyone gets your name wrong, or the name of the place you live. Next time on In a Manner of Speaking.